Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Annie Davis. She is founder of Growing Impact. She's also recently VP of Marketing at Flow Cannabis Co. We're going to talk to her about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk about California market. We're going to talk to her about really where the opportunities are, maybe where the missed opportunities are in cannabis, in some of these kind of newer markets and some of these newer consumers that are getting into cannabis, and really how can we think kind of more broadly, more holistically about the market and and really bring, uh, I think, a new perspective, some new thinking, and hopefully some new philosophies to the approach to cannabis and building the cannabis market in the cannabis industry. Excited for the conversation, and he's got an interesting background, and I'm excited to hear what she's doing next, and we'll talk about it on the program here. So with that, Annie, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. Excited to be here. That's a pleasure. So before we dive into what you're doing today and the exciting things you've got going on, let's get a little bit of background. Tell me, like, how did you get into cannabis? What's the story? There's always, I find there's always an interesting background. Tell us yours. Yeah, there there always is an interesting background. And I have to say that for myself, over the last several years, I think I've gotten more and more comfortable sharing my, my personal journey with cannabis as part of the background. And I think that that is a testament to the slow but, but hopefully um, inevitable breaking of the stigma around the plant. 
So I have been a cannabis consumer for, for many, many years, and um, it's definitely not something that I uh, ever shared publicly nor uh, would talk about in a professional context, but very relevant to my journey here. I first discovered cannabis, as many of us do, in you know high school and college, and at, certainly in a kind of a recreational way, but I had been struggling with insomnia and anxiety from a young age, from the age of 12 and had been um, on some pharmaceutical drugs and sleep aids starting at, you know, at the age of 15, 16 to help with insomnia. And I realized quickly um, around college and towards the end of college that the evenings that I would you know, smoke weed with my friends, I was able to sleep and I didn't need to use the pharmaceuticals. And I'd been on Ambien and other kinds of sleep aids. And um, those sleep aids would leave me in the morning really groggy and kind of unable to function. And I was a student at Yale University, and um, I had a lot of like homework to do, and I, 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 could, I couldn't be groggy in the morning. And so I, you know, kind of weaned myself off of prescription medications and was able to, to sleep with the help of cannabis. So I saw early on in my life, you know, how powerful this plant was, but um, it was always something I was really nervous, even that like my parents would find out about, you know, in my 20s, in, in my early 20s. And cannabis continued to be a resource for me throughout my life, but was really salient for me when I became a mother. I'm the mom of two children. They are now six and three. But when I was postpartum with my six-year-old son, again, I had really bad insomnia. I had stopped consuming cannabis during my pregnancy because the research was unclear in terms of the impact on the growing fetus. And I didn't want to risk the health of my baby. But after he was born, I started consuming again. And once again, it was like the only thing that helped me be able to sleep and function and be a better mom. So that's my personal journey with, with, with the plant. And I had thought about working in the industry for many years, back starting in 2010, actually, I interviewed to be the first head of marketing with PAX. Um, they were working in a co-working space in the mission in San Francisco. But this was 2010 and Prop 64 hadn't passed. Cannabis was only legal under medical. And I was still kind of worried what the rest of the world would think about my working in the industry. So I didn't take that job, but I continued to follow the growth of the industry. And in 2018, so eight years after that, my daughter was born. So I had a toddler and a newborn at home. Yeah. Um, and when I was on maternity leave with my daughter, once again, I was consuming cannabis postpartum to help me manage anxiety and sleep in the hormones, but also Prop 64 had then passed in California. And so there was, you know, a lot of momentum in terms of investment coming into the industry. It started to feel more acceptable and more normal. And so while I was on maternity leave um, for my job, which at that time I was leading marketing for a company in the sustainable packaging space, so natural products, kind of clean tech industries, I started to started reading and learning more about the legal cannabis industry and decided that I would attempt to shift my career into cannabis at that time. And I had this hypothesis that there weren't that many people back in 2018 who kind of were potentially over the stigma and able to work in the industry, but also kind of had my professional background, which was 15 years working in CPG and, you know, natural products marketing and an MBA from Harvard Business School. And I thought that was kind of a unique, potentially a unique profile for somebody working in the space. It's not so unique now, but it was more unique then. And I had this hypothesis that I would be able to potentially find flexible, meaningful work in the cannabis industry, but also be able to be a really present parent to my 
newborn daughter and my son. So that's when I started working as a consultant in cannabis. And I started, I founded my consultancy, Growing Impact, which I've kept going over the last several years while I've done a number of other things in this space. But um, that's how I I first came into cannabis and really has been a, a journey over the last three years of increasing my my hours of paid work in this space where I now work full time, um, mm-hmm. my responsibility and my engagement. Um, but for me, it all really starts from a, a deep personal place of, um, of consumption and understanding of the power of the plant. Yeah. Uh, and what have you found being kind of the most impactful or meaningful areas that you've, you've gotten involved in cannabis and what kind of impact do you like creating in the market? Yeah. Well, initially when I started, one of the things that drew me to cannabis initially in 2018 was the fact that I, in addition to being like a marketer by training, I have been somebody who's been really passionate about corporate social responsibility and triple bottom line business kind of throughout my career. I started my career in the nonprofit sector in 2005, 2007, when I was, when I was in business school, it was just around the time that the idea of strategic corporate citizenship was becoming a topic. Sustainability was not, was just being coined kind of as a buzzword for business. And over the last 15 years of my career, prior to cannabis, I've always worked for businesses that were in some way, shape, or form trying to either reduce environmental impact or drive positive social change. And within the cannabis industry, I believe that we have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to build and shape an industry in a different way than kind of business has and capitalism has traditionally, you know, been structured. We can, rather than stripping out kind of negative externalities of business, for instance, reducing pollution, you know, at the end or, you know, increasing, you know, diversity and leadership once you already have kind of rooms full of, you know, white men in leadership roles, you could from the start with this industry build a diversity and leadership. You could from the start in this industry structure companies that had mitigated their environmental impact. Um, and that would be a more a really fascinating demonstration of the potential of, of sustainable business. So that's the, the area in cannabis kind of that most excites me and most interests me. And I, first and foremost, business, you know, a business has to deliver, you know, profitable revenue in order to operate, in order yeah. to operate. Yeah. So, you know, the business kind of function that I've been playing for the last several years and where I, you know, kind of currently add the most value to the cannabis industry is through consumer and, and B2B marketing, through brand building, and through kind of broad scale, I think brand building both for kind of individual products and services mm-hmm. and brands, but also kind of brand building for, you know, cannabis and the cannabis industry as a whole yeah. um, and involving normalization, destigmatization. And I think these things are related because if we think about barriers to legalization, barriers to public acceptance, if you can demonstrate that this industry really delivers social environmental good to the world, it's hard for people to then argue that it shouldn't be something that is accessible, that it shouldn't be something that is legal. And so I think that ESG and and corporate social responsibility, social equity, like these are not kind of ancillary to the cannabis business. I think they are core to this business being something that becomes mainstream and accepted um, beyond your kind of early adopters or your historical cannabis consumers. Yeah. Yeah. So I have like three hours of questions. For you. <laughs> 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 Let me start with just kind of the business one that you kind of posed at the beginning here, or, or at one point, maybe halfway through that, you know, a business needs to uh, deliver, you know, profitable revenue. 
you know, but I guess, do you see this as being, we need to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that to gain these other objectives? Or do you feel like by focusing these other objectives, we actually have a superior ability to actually produce that profitability? Yeah, well, exactly. So I, I, I actually feel like it's, it is the latter. Um, yeah. I feel like it's the latter that by structuring businesses in a way that account for environmental harm, environmental impact, rather than, you know, wait for environmental harm to happen and then have to mitigate it. You know, research has shown in other industries that companies that prioritize environmental, social and governance standards and practices do tend to outperform their counterparts um, with lower priorities in those areas over time, as well as that, for instance, you know, having a greater diversity in, in leadership at a board level or a C-suite level as well can deliver superior returns. That is definitely what the data shows, but that's not necessarily, I think, kind of what the average per se business leader believes. So there's a tension between the two. So oftentimes, you know, companies will not invest in social responsibility and environmental responsibility, like until they get to a certain point in, you know, their business growth. And I'm hopeful, I was hopeful and I continue to be hopeful that, you know, we can't, we can build this, this in, into the cannabis industry from the start. But the challenge is, uh, you know, again, is resourcing. So it's like, you know, companies having, you know, the capital to be able to resource, you know, roles within the companies that, you know, structure and prioritize these elements of ESG. Yeah. I'm curious what role you feel kind of, you know, state government regulation, even kind of industry self-regulation plays in some of this, because I feel like part, part of the challenge is that, you know, as a company, if I choose to invest in these very important sustainability, environmental, um, social equity programs, I mean, there's, there's things that are, are very important to the industry. But if not everyone in the in the on the field is playing by those same rules, it's going to be sort of tough to compete financially like, are there is is there a role for government and for kind of industry self-regulation to kind of level the playing field a little bit or to insist on some of these things that we don't have, you know, people kind of taking advantage yeah. of some of these things to gain financial gain? I think there certainly is a role to play in terms of self-regulation and, you know, government-led regulation. But I also think that business is driven by, you know, consumer and customer demand. When there yeah. is a customer or a consumer demand or opportunity for, an, you know, a change in innovation, a policy, that tends to be the thing that most, or an investor, you know, driven, yeah. driven need, some type of stakeholder a motivation. That's really what drives business. So what I think would be most impactful in this area is setting consumer-facing standards or consumer, a consumer-facing framework for consumers, cannabis consumers to understand and then kind of be able to make purchasing decisions based upon not how a, how a product or service may perform on these ESG components. So I think, you know, I would envision something I'd potentially um, just as, you know, you have certifications like, you know, an, a USDA, or, a USDA yeah. organic for milk, you could have some type of universal iconography on cannabis consumer products that, you know, didn't just highlight the fact that let's say it might be like a minority owned brand or a women owned brand, but it mm -hmm. could be a whole rubric or framework for showcasing like how this consumer product delivers on environmental and social, environmental and social benefit. And I think that 
there's been an, a fair amount of research with cannabis, both existing cannabis consumers and potential cannabis consumers, especially those, you know, kind of in the Gen Z and millennial, you know, demographics to show that consumers, you know, are, are both like willing to pay and willing to pay more for products and services that demonstrate social environmental values. But if there's no framework for those social environmental activities and values to be um, kind of made public to consumers, then they're not going to be able to make those choices. So I think there is an opportunity for that within this industry and something that really can be um, consumer facing and customer facing as well yeah. as um, driven by, you know, I think it's one, I think we, you, you see, yes, companies will do things when they're forced to do them, but they're much more likely to do them when they think they're going to make more money yeah. by yeah, doing no, exactly. them. Yeah, it's a, a carrot motivation rather than stick motivation. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And how, I mean, I've seen, you know, some brands like companies like Patagonia have done a great job of just, you know, fundamentally kind of branding themselves and, and, you know, having customers understand their kind of their values and what they're doing and really weave it into the, the positioning that they have. How do we do this in cannabis when, I mean, it's just the knowledge and understanding of cannabis is so low or it's, it's so challenging for people to kind of mm-hmm. access cannabis in general, like now to layer all these other things on it. It's like, well, you need to understand the, all the cannabinoids and the terpenes and the products and the modalities. Now you have to understand how it's made, <laughs> like it's social mm-hmm. responsibility is like, mm-hmm. like what's, what's yeah, like, how yeah. do we, how do we begin to educate, I guess, the consumer market such that we can actually create this demand. So brands start following these practices? Exactly. Well, good question. And I, I, I think this is why this is hit on the nail on the head um, for why, like, I personally kind of went into consumer marketing, um, yeah. despite this passion and this interest of mine in social environmental impact that I felt like, you know, learning how to successfully market market products to consumers in a crowded landscape, like a cereal aisle or a cleaning products aisle, like in a grocery store would be great experience in order to figure out how to position and market kind of more innovative products and services that, you know, had greater degrees of environmental sustainability. So that's why I started my career as a Clorox company in traditional CPG. But I think within cannabis, so I think, you know, we do have to start simple. And these are some simple, simple opportunities are, number one, kind of developing, this is something that, you know, I've been working on over the last year or so, as I've been VP of marketing at Flow Cannabis Co., which is the California cannabis manufacturer, processor, cultivator, operator that exclusively cultivates and sources sun-grown cannabis that is grown, you know, directly into the soil in the hills of California with minimal environmental inputs. And we have, we worked for about a year on a campaign to demystify and educate around, you know, sun-grown cannabis and mm-hmm. kind of the power of sun-grown cannabis, but not just from a sustainability perspective, but also um, how growing cannabis under full sun results in a broader spectrum of terpenes and minor cannabinoids. And, you know, you can kind of go deeper depending on the level of knowledge of the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just taking this as an example, I think the number one kind of nuanced question for you know, for consumers is posing just do you know where and how your cannabis was grown if you just start there and liken liken cannabis it's just an, it's an agricultural crop like anything else and so you know for so many years for decades cannabis was hidden it was in the shadows it was something yeah. people didn't talk about you know you got your bag you know your brown bag of cannabis from your dealer at your door and no you did not ask how it was grown you didn't ask where it was grown like you were trained to not ask those questions 
Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a retraining of ex- for, for existing cannabis consumers, those who have been in the category for years and years, and they are now buying legally. There's an opportunity, like some of the excitement in the market and the potential is for those consumers to ask how their cannabis was grown. And this is actually a way for dispensaries, retailers, and brands in states that are now just legalizing to actually win consumers over from the traditional illicit market where they couldn't ask questions, where they didn't know about their plant. So I think one of it's both a, there, there's actually a business opportunity in kind of retraining consumers to ask the question about how your cannabis was grown, because you can argue, well, when you buy it in a legal dispensary, when you buy it through these channels, now you can learn how it was grown, who grew it, what the terpene profile is of the plant, how it's going to make you feel. And we have, you know, we're beginning to have as marketers a range of tools for doing that. So certainly like traditional channels, um, so content marketing, social media, our, our own branded PR, you know, PR efforts, but then really working and partnering with retailers, both delivery and brick and mortar on trademarking initiatives. So educating bud tenders through bud tender training tools and platforms, leveraging you know, SMS and email tools and loyalty programs to deliver messaging to consumers, engaging them in interactive events that are both in-store, you know, and online, and just beginning to showcase cannabis, uh, helping cannabis to like come out of the closet so that you can talk about all the nuances of it. And, you know, I live in, I live in California, I live in Northern California, so I am, and I live in Sonoma County, so I am deep in the, the kind of the, the wine, yeah. wine country. And, you know, the purchasing and the decision making around wine is very sophisticated. It's very nuanced and people will choose their wine based literally upon like the terroir, you know, the land in which those grapes were grown and sophisticated and experienced wine connoisseurs, you know, will be able to taste the differences in the wine depending on where the same varietal of grapes were were grown. So um, I think it's going to be, you know, certainly going to be a journey. Like you didn't emerge from prohibition and immediately get (laughs) to that like level of, you know, nuance and sophistication with wine purchasing and wine consumption, but we're there now. So it's certainly going to be a journey. And I think that there's a role, you know, for, for companies to play. There's a role for NGOs to play. It's also a real opportunity for industry collaboration. So it's an opportunity, I think, for, you know, for instance, for sun-grown cultivators to come together to pool their resources on broad-scale education for instance, and similarly, you know, that I talked about cultivation, you could you could equally, you know, have a similar campaign around who is behind the cannabis, who is the person, what's their background, obviously, like, you know, within the organic food sector, you know, people are willing to pay so much more for, you know, their apple that was grown in like a small batch in an orchard in like the, in, in the, the hills of Vermont than they are <laughs> to pay for something that was like factory farmed, you know, um, and shipped over here from South America, let's say. So yeah. mm. um, I think it's just like an evolution. One of the challenges um, to that is, you know, we, it's just, you know, th- that takes time. And so, and that's, I think, what's so exciting about being on the forefront of cannabis marketing as somebody who, who cares about these, these issues is that we have an opportunity to really shape the narrative from the start. Yeah. I, I'm curious about this whole kind of brand building and, and where we are with kind of customer segmentation. I mean, I think, you know, we're 
you know, five years ago, it was all about what's your THC content, right? That was that was the, the only thing that people really kind of cared about when you walked into mm-hmm. the dispensary. You know, it's changing, it's evolving. You know, there's new kind of factors, you know, people are getting into other cannabinoids, terpenes, you know, the method growing, growing methods. I mean, those also are the things that companies are now kind of differentiating themselves on. And the market's becoming more segmented, right? You've got traditional cannabis users, new cannabis users, you know, different age groups, different, you know, kind of affinity groups that are now purchasing cannabis that have different needs, wants, desires. Like how, how do you go about kind of strategizing around building a brand in terms of, uh, you know, what you're differentiating on, who you're differentiating for? I mean, give me a sense of kind of how you've approached that and where you think we are as an industry. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's interesting. Like, I think depending on kind of like the form facts, I think the, with, if you look at different form factors, there's really different levels of sophistication and different levels of expertise when it comes to brand building. So, for instance, if you look at, you know, I think the like the cannabis like flower and pre-roll, you know, categories, which are still the largest by far, continue to to grow and really drive kind of the bulk of revenue, at least for retailers. I think within those categories, we we have fairly minimal consumer segmentation and the vast majority of the brands in those categories are still kind of targeting a very similar cannabis consumer and, and, and archetype, oftentimes a, a male consumer within, you know, a certain a certain age range, like I would say 21, like to mid 30s is where you see like the bulk of those brands falling. And there is, I think, a myth, I think this kind of race to, I guess I was going to say race to the bottom, but it's really more a race to the top in terms of THC percentage and THC percentage being the kind of metric of quality really demonstrates kind of a degree of like blinders on to the, the overall category. You think about like consumers that are in their let's say 50s, 60s, 70s that, you know, have been consuming cannabis or used to consume cannabis, let's say like back, you know, when they were in their 20s, the THC levels at that time were far, far lower. And many of those people, you know, the current like premium priced cannabis is too potent for them. Right. Um, and, and they'd actually be willing to pay um, those premium prices, but they want to have what would benefit them more would be like a much more robust terpene profile. Yeah. Um, and lower like lower THC content. So I still think there's a lot of untapped opportunity in that in that area. And when I was at Flow Cannabis Co, we launched our Farmers Reserve line, which was kind of the the highest level of terpene content um, in the market, 2.5 percent um, for flour. And we still struggled to kind of convince retailers that this consumer existed out there that 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 really um, for which this this terpene profile was a huge selling point um, because I think still that framework didn't really exist. You know, you sell a lot of dispensaries in California that literally like sticker the THC percentage alongside the pricing. Um, So that's first and foremost what you see. But I think that other categories, for instance, tinctures, beverages, you know, pills, even edibles, those categories and the innovation in those categories is beginning to to develop kind of more robust portfolio of offerings to target um, cannabis consumers along a spectrum that are seeking lower dosage or newer to the category. Um, I worked on the brand Care by Design, which is California's you know, pioneering wellness brand. And I mean, they were you know they were the first wellness brand to the market here. Um, but where Care by Design kind of earned its reputation was in its you know it's, they were the first to launch 
CBD to, to THC ratios. And those ratios being, you know, all the way from one to one to 40 to one CBD to THC provide a wide range of, you know, dosage levels for various consumers. But I, I think there's still a lot of untapped opportunity in thinking about, you know, kind of daily and reg- daily and heavy cannabis consumers who do not fit like your typical stoner, 20-something stoner male stereotype. I know a lot of women who are in their 30s and 40s who love to dab, who love to use concentrates and they're, you know, but I also know a lot of women who say they would use those types of products, but they feel like intimidated by the hardware. They're intimidated by like the consumption experience. So I think there's a lot of opportunity and innovation, not just in product format, but also in devices in consumption experiences. And I'm really excited about what um, hopefully cannabis, you know, consumption lounges and kind of public public consumption spaces will do for innovation in that area. Yeah. Any interest, I'm curious what um, kind of customer segments or, or kind of new segments to the cannabis market that are most interesting for you that I think have, that you think have the kind of the most sort of potential or, or unique opportunity that are untapped right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think marketing cannabis in a way to people not necessarily based on like age or gender, but obviously psychographics as well as like cultural cultural backgrounds. So thinking about brands that specifically speak to let's say a Asian female consumer in, you know, her or a, an African American woman who's a mom. Like I think that there's an opportunity to, to cannabis one of the, the really powerful things about cannabis is, you know, obviously it's both like a wellness product and a recreational product. It also really creates community. And I really see an opportunity for like brand for there to be um, brand affinity developed by by companies and brands that create community around like either like a moment in someone's life, like becoming a mother or retiring or, you know, or a cultural, a cultural norm. So think about like beverages that might have a flavor profile that, you know, really appeals, let's say to, you know, someone like a a flavor profile that is akin to, you know, a cane soda that you might buy in like, you know, a tienda you know, in New York. So I think there's a lot of opportunity, not just in thinking about kind of the like kind of just traditional along traditional demographic lines, but also thinking about like creating brands that really that really symbolize like cultural affinity um, and cultural connection um, from a community to a, to the plant. Excellent. Um, Annie, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah. Um, so you can reach me um, through my email, Annie at growingimpact.co. And my website is www.growingimpact.co. Um, also, you can always find me on LinkedIn, where I try to be fairly active and share more on these topics. Excellent. I'll make sure that the links and everything are in the show notes. Annie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.